what an incredible day to be studying Torah. Actually, the things that we are studying in today's chapter is what drove the Greeks crazy about the Jewish people. They hated it. We're in the middle of chapter 41. We're learning about accepting the yoke of Hashem and saying, I'm doing it just because you said so, Hashem. The Greeks hated that. They said, you want to study Torah because it's intellectual? We agree with you. It's so intellectual. You want to do the mitzvahs because they are nostalgic, they're traditional? Do it for that reason. To do it because Hashem said, no, that, that we can't deal with. But that's the reason why we do it, because Hashem said, too bad on the Greeks. And that's what we're learning today. And what's amazing about Hanukkah is that Hanukkah has a special connection to Torah. The Talmud says, and I'll read you from the Talmud. Amarav Huna, Haragil Bener, Banim Chachamim. Rav Huna said, one who is accustomed to kindle lights on Shabbat and Hanukkah will be rewarded and have children who are Torah scholars, who will disseminate the light of Torah. And Rashi comments on that, and he says, he quotes from Proverbs, from Mishlei, Kiner mitzvah v'tayr or, for the commandment is a lamp and Torah is light. Through the lamp of a mitzvah of Shabbos and Hanukkah comes the light of Torah. So the Rebbe speaks about it because actually every mitzvah is a candle. So why is it specifically Shabbos candles and Hanukkah candles that have this power to give a person such a great connection to the Torah. And the Rebbe said, well, every single mitzvah is a candle and draws light into this world. We can't see it. It's a spiritual effect. Two mitzvot are so powerful that they even bring physical light. Shabbos candles and Hanukkah candles. And so we can see from their power, because we're talking about looking at mitzvahs and seeing their power, we can see the fact that these mitzvahs actually add in physical light means that they have an extra amount of power to bring light. So what an amazing day to be studying the light of the Torah. And we are on page 7 of 24 or 6 of 21. We just finished talking about the mitzvah of tefillin. Frida and I were just talking... Frida and I were talking before class and about the power of tefillin. There's a story of the son of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, that he had a tutor that would come and teach him Torah. And the way it worked in the olden days was that they would stay with their client most of the year and only go home for important times like the holidays. So every time before the holiday, um, the Alter Rebbe would pay him for teaching his son and he would thank him and say, see you after the holidays. And this was right before the Mittal Rebbe started to put on tefillin. It was time for his tutor to go home. His father, the Alter Rebbe, thanked the tutor and um, didn't say see you after the holidays. So he thought it was a mistake. He comes back after the holidays and meets his student and says, let's learn. And then he realizes that his student could now be his teacher. His student has become so high and reach such levels of expanded consciousness, he's just not the same kid he used to teach. And he said, what happened to you? And he said, well, I started to put on tefillin. And before I put on tefillin, my father blessed me that they should open up my mind and they should open up my heart. And so that was the effect. Now, it does happen to everybody to some extent. We just don't see it. But obviously, this was a huge transformation. So last class, we, stopped, we ended off by speaking about the power of tefillin as subsuming our mind within the divine mind. And now we're looking at the mitzvah of tzitzis, again, which is not a woman's mitzvah, but the implication 
definitely applies to us. The practical application of it applies to us too. And of course, when men put on tzitzis, it affects women as well. So we are on page, like I said, 7 of 24. And while putting on the tzitzit, one should bear in mind what is written in the Zohar, namely that he should draw upon himself his blessed kingdom. So the Zohar says, That means that when a person is putting on the talus or their tzitzis, well, I guess it's the talus over here. When the person is putting on the talus, they should have in mind that they're accepting upon themselves the yoke of heaven. They're literally spreading the yoke of heaven over their head. That's what it is when they're putting on the talus. So we're talking about the power of tzitzis, and the power of tzitzis is that when someone puts on the tzitzis, they accept the heavenly yoke upon themselves. Which is the kingdom over all worlds. Nevertheless, we should intend and endeavor to focus God's kingdom specifically over ourselves through this mitzvah. For the commandment of tzitzit is particularly effective in enhancing one's acceptance of the yoke of heaven. So that was the meditation at the beginning of the chapter that we are accepting Hashem's yoke upon ourselves. Tzitzit is the practical way to do it. A man puts on tzitzit, it brings the heavenly yoke upon himself, it gives him a chance to accept the heavenly yoke. We're going to ask ourselves this question. One second. Every mitzvah is a chance to surrender to Hashem. Didn't we say that? Every mitzvah is a chance to surrender to Hashem. What's the difference between tzitzis? Why is it particular to tzitzis? So that's what the altar was going to explain now. This is similar to the mitzvah. You shall surely set a king over yourself. The Rebbe notes the verse implies that before one set a king over himself, he had no king. And it is he who now sets the king over himself. So while every mitzvah allows us to totally surrender to Hashem, and every mitzvah is that opportunity of accepting his yoke upon us so that we actually feel fear in our heart of him or awe and trepidation, like I have to find the right words because this is such a touchy subject, (laughs) that we actually feel awe of Hashem. Every mitzvah is an opportunity to feel awe. This is different. This is just accepting his yoke, meaning that a person, a person who, I'm going to read you from a a Hasidic discourse of the Alter Rebbe. He says like this, this is a different kind of power because accepting Hashem's yoke in the way that we feel fear and that's the nature of every mitzvah, sometimes a person doesn't feel anything. This is the opportunity to coerce yourself, coerce yourself to do the right thing, to be subservient to Hashem, even if you're not feeling it in your heart. And these are the words of the Alter Rebbe, and they, they sound very strong, and I want to talk about it. It is actually such an amazing tool to have in our back pocket. Like, we hate the word coercion, and you're going to force me to do something, and I'm going to force myself. If we think about it, how many things do we force ourselves to do every single day that we don't necessarily want to do? A lot. And we're so much better off for it. You know, what if you say, well, you know what, today I don't feel like taking the kids to school. Um, I also don't feel like making dinner. Besides, I actually don't feel like getting out of bed. <laughs> but force yourself. When you force yourself, you're actually being true to yourself. A lot of times when you say force yourself, you feel like you're doing something that you don't want to do. But we're multi-layered. And if we get to our essence, our essence wants to do these things. It's just that we have a layer in between our animal self, 
which is very uh, emotional and very vocal. And it almost seems like it's ourself. It's not ourself. It's our facade. And to just say, you know, I don't, I'm not in the mood. That's why I'm not going to do it. Well, who's not in the mood? And who is yourself? These are all kind of questions, you know, people might bring up to their psychologist, but it's something that the Alter Rebbe addresses here. And it's very important to be cognizant of that and realize that it's an amazing tool we have, that we can actually force ourselves to do something even when we're not in the mood. And these are the words, I'm going to read it to you in English, from the Alter Rebbe's discourse in Lakute Terra Parshas Masse. And he's talking about before a human king has been appointed as a king, People don't feel fear of that person. If the person is already the king, so then you you know how powerful he is, automatically you feel fear. But if he's not a king yet, you don't feel fear of him. After he's been made king over them to do as he desires, then most certainly his fear will fall upon the people. This is actual fear. However, before he is made king, it only has been decided to appoint him as king. This is what it means. You shall surely appoint a king over yourself meaning that a person draws fear upon himself and decides firmly with his will about this, even though he doesn't actually have fear yet. And this is how it is with accepting the heavenly yoke. Even if he doesn't have much of a concept of Hashem's exaltedness to the point that dread will fall upon him, nevertheless, he is victorious. He acts in a way of victory and coercion to accept upon himself the heavenly kingdom. So that is the power of tzitzis, and that's the effect that we can feel in ourselves. We appoint Hashem as our king. I'm not feeling a palpable emotion right now. I may not be emotionally relating to this, but I have this strong conviction that Hashem is my king and I'm going to act in line with that. And that's the power that Sitzis gives us as the Jewish people, the power to force ourselves to do what Hashem wants, the power of coercion. Now, I I know I'm using strong words, so I'm opening up to everybody here at class and also on Zoom. If there's like an objection you have, if there's something that you feel like we need to flesh out in order to better internalize the idea, then let's bring it up. But it's coming up more, actually. The more we talk and the more we develop, we're going to discuss this idea more. So we just finished. There's three things we speak about, we think about before every mitzvah. First of all, we think about the fact that Hashem is the king over all the worlds, higher worlds and lower worlds, and he uniquely confers his kingship upon the Jewish people and specifically upon you. Hashem is waiting for you in particular to call him king. If you don't call him king, he doesn't consider himself king. The whole universe, like in a certain way, it's just you and Hashem. The whole universe depends on you. That's a topic we visited right in the beginning of the chapter. It was a meditation that we need to have. Realizing that, we realize we're face-to-face with Hashem. We're right in his presence, and he wants to know, am I serving him? And he doesn't is just not looking at me and seeing, how do I serve him practically? He's looking in my heart, and he wants to know, am I serving him fittingly? So that was the first meditation. The second meditation was every mitzvah, draws Hashem's light upon our divine soul that's within our body. And because our divine soul is sourced in Hashem, when we draw down its source upon it, it totally loses itself. The soul becomes subsumed within Hashem, totally surrenders to Hashem, has no separate identity. That's it. I'm just one with Hashem. I surrender. And then finally, we said that every mitzvah has a particular property that allows our soul to experience a surrender in a specific way. We looked at tefillin that allows us to surrender our mind and our heart to Hashem. We looked at tzitzis that allows us to 
accept Hashem as king, even if our heart is not palpably feeling it, but just acting in line with that. And now we're going to come back to the topic that the Altarba started in the beginning of the chapter. The Altarba started at the beginning of the chapter and said, you have to know that fear of Hashem is the core and root of everything. It's the beginning of serving Hashem. It's the core. It's the root. And it's true not just to avoid a sin. You think the reason why I need to fear Hashem is because I have to be careful not to sin. How am I going to be careful not to sin? Because I'm afraid of him. So I won't sin in his presence. I'm afraid to be separated from him. I'm afraid to rebel against him. But actually, fear of Hashem is what has to propel our positive mitzvahs as well. Before I light Shabbos candles, I'm lighting this because Hashem said I should. I'm totally surrendered to Him. Before I take challah, I'm doing this. Of course I'm doing this because I love Hashem and I want to connect with Him. I'm doing this because Hashem said so. I'm His servant and I'm serving Him. Every mitzvah has to be propelled by this fear of Hashem. And the altar said in the beginning of the chapter, you don't need to have a very high level of fear of Hashem. Even if it's not a palpable emotion in your heart, but it's just a strong conviction in your mind, that's enough. Your service is perfect. And the altar is going to come back and talk about that. And the difference in flavor between fear in the heart and fear in the mind is that fear in the heart is a live, palpable emotion. You feel it. You actually feel your heart like trembling before Hashem. You feel in awe of Him. You there is an internal sensation of fear. That's fear in the heart. Fear in the mind is a strong conviction. It means that I am going to do this way. It's still an internal change. Fear in the heart is an internal change. Fear in the mind is an internal change too. You're not the same. Before you had that fear in your mind and after you have the fear in the mind, there's a different, you're a different kind of person. Now you have a strong conviction in your mind that even when you're not thinking about it, in the beginning of the day you meditated, right? In the beginning of the day we meditate. But then the rest of the day you're going about your business. Even when you're not thinking about it, the impression is so strong that you don't want to rebel against Hashem. That is your line of thinking. That is your mindset. I don't want to rebel against Hashem. That's a whole day long feeling after having that meditation in the morning. It's an internal change. It's like someone who is dangerously allergic to a certain kind of food. They may not have an emotional aversion to it, but they will not touch that food because they know in their mind it's dangerous for them. So is it an emotion? No, they don't have an aversion to that emotionally. But intellectually, they are so certain they will not be eating that food. I used to have a mommy and me program, and one of my sisters is very allergic to dairy, like seriously allergic to dairy, but thank God her kids are not. So she had her oldest little boy there, and she was feeding him pizza, and for me it was the funniest thing to see my sister feeding her baby pizza. And so what is it like for you to like feed him pizza? She used to actually not be able to touch it, but now she could touch it for Hashem. And she said, I actually like the way it smells. It looks good, but I would never... Think of eating this. And that's the idea here. She, she doesn't hate it. She doesn't hate dairy. It looks good. She feeds it to her kid. But intellectually, she has a strong aversion. I cannot eat this food. And that's somebody who has fear of Hashem in their mind. They don't, may not feel it emotionally, but intellectually, they are strong in this. This is a conviction that they have. I can never rebel against Hashem. So if a person has, is able to reach that space, they weren't able to uncover the fear in their heart. Then we might have this question, how, how serious was the meditation? Look, I, I thought about Hashem, I 
took all the steps that the Tanya outlined. I don't feel it in my heart. Then how good is my service? And this is what the altar is going to address right now. In such case, meaning after having, contempl having contemplated this matter, then even though after all this meditation, no fear, no dread or fear descends upon him in a manifested, man manifest manner in his heart. Nevertheless, since he accepts the kingdom of heaven upon himself and draws upon himself the fear of him in his conscious thought and rational volition, it's real. And the author was going to say that this is a genuine, this is, you know, you ask ourselves, as human beings, you ask ourselves, Am, am I being phony? Am I a hypocrite? Is this for real? Am I just being delusional right now? And the altar was going to tell us, you may not have been able to call up that feeling in your heart. It may just be a strong intellectual conviction. And you may question yourself and say, you know, I did the right steps. I, I meditated. I, I did the mitzvah with this intention that I'm subsumed within Hashem. My heart is not feeling it. I do have this intellectual conviction in my mind. Maybe there's something... There's something wrong. There's something wrong with the way I'm doing things. Maybe it's not genuine. Maybe there's something wrong with my mitzvah performance. And the author of it says like this. And this submission to God and his fear of him is beyond doubt a sincere one. For it is the nature of all Jewish souls not to rebel against the blessed holy king. So here the Alter Rebbe addresses the question, who am I? And he tells us every single Jewish person, no matter who they are, and we can be speaking about the most wicked Jewish person, because they have a divine soul, they have certain natural proclivities. One of them is that they love Hashem. And another one is that they fear Hashem. And another one is that, or part of that fearing Hashem, is that they never want to rebel against Him. That's who we are naturally. Pull off any Jew off the street and that's who he is. He loves Hashem and he fears Hashem. He never wants to rebel against him. I see some faces. <laughs> that is the case. But 100% sure. But Communist Russia? Communist Russia. I, I'm trying to remember the name of this guy. The original the, communist. Do you, did you, in the book of the rabbit by Joseph Telushkin, yeah. he writes about this guy terrible guy who did, did so many bad things to his Jewish brethren. He was part of the, the um, NKVD and what was the more common name for them? I forgot. KGB. Um, somebody who like mentioned his name to the rabbi and the rabbi said, wow, he's a really big Russia. But you know what? Like it's not too late. He can still do Teshuvah. I don't remember exactly what the like, I, I don't remember the details of the story. I haven't read it in a long time. But the Rebbe didn't give up hope on him. And the Rebbe said, this guy, is a, he's a wicked person, 100% a wicked person. The things that he, atrocities that were perpetrated because of him to his fellow Jewish brethren, unimaginable. He's still Jewish. He still has a Jewish soul. Somebody like him, their Jewish consciousness is so beyond, like, beyond that they don't relate to it. They don't see that as themselves. That was the problem with Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya, it was one of the greatest sages of his time. And he became a heretic. Terrible story. 
And he had a student, Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir was one of the greatest sages in the Jew, of the Jewish people. And everybody left him. Nobody would learn Torah from Elisha ben Avuya. You're actually not allowed to. That the lips of a Kohen will, will guard truth and you will search Torah from his mouth because he is uh, an angel of Hashem. And the Talmud says, If the teacher is similar to a malach, to an angel, then you should seek Torah from him. But if not, you can't learn Torah from him. So somebody like Elisha ben Avuya, who became a heretic, you were not allowed to learn from him, and his students all left him. Rabbi right. Meir still that learned his, with him. Is that, that was his teacher? That was his teacher. Elisha ben Avuya was his teacher. Elisha ben Avuya was Rabbi Meir's teacher. Oh my goodness, I always thought it was the other way around. Yeah, Elisha ben Avuya was Rabbi Meir's teacher. And he had a special gift of being able to, they said, Shani Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir's different. He was able to eat the pomegranate and discard the peel. People can't do that. The thing with him is he, he couldn't pull himself away from the Torah. He was always learning Torah, Elisha ben Avuya. Even though he was bad, he was always learning Torah. So one time, Elisha ben Avuya, this was... On Shabbat. Shabbat. Yes, he, this was on Shabbat. He's, wa- he's riding his horse, and his student, Rabbi Meir, is walking alongside him. And he says, suddenly he turns to him and he says, Meir, chazor bacha, Meir, go back. I was counting by the paces of my horse, and we reached the Chum Shabbos. You can't walk past there. And he said, You chazor bacha, you go back, you do teshuva. And he said, No, 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 no. For me, it's too late. I was once riding behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim and Yom Kippur. And I heard a voice say, Shuvu banim shevavim chutz me'acher. Return you wayward children, except for Acher. He was called Acher. That's what his colleagues called him. They didn't call him by his name. Acher, the other one. The stories were counted in the Jerusalem Talmud as well. Now, I don't remember which version is which, but one of them says, chutz me'acher, and the other one says, chutz me'alisha ben Avuya. So, did the voice say, everybody return except for Acher, or everybody return except for Elisha ben Avuya? And that Samach Tzedek talks about this, that what the voice said was, return you way we're children except for Acher. Acher is not you. Acher, that facade that you put on, the heretic, that's not you. Throw yourself aside and return. But he so deeply identified with his fake self that he heard Elisha ben Avuya. To him, it was the same thing. There's no such thing as a Jewish person who doesn't have a connection with Hashem. But sometimes a person can become so identified with their facade or their fake self, they can't differentiate between their real self and their fake self. There's no such thing as a Jewish person who doesn't love Hashem, who doesn't fear Hashem, and who doesn't, who is not afraid to rebel against Him. What there could be is somebody who it's so deep down in their soul that they haven't accessed it. They're not even aware of it. They're completely out of touch with it. It's totally a part of who they are. They're completely out of touch with it. When a person manages it, there's two ways. So you can either uncover it in your mind or further than that, you can uncover it in your heart. It'd be the most amazing thing if after the meditation, a person walks away and their heart is different. They have a palpable emotion of awe in their heart. They sense Hashem. Everything they do is now permeated with that. They go about their day. They're not meditating, but their actions are permeated with their meditation. That's amazing. Not everybody could reach that. A person who reached that means that they were able to access what they have naturally 
even to the point in their heart. But then there's another person. They were only able to access it in their mind, but they still accessed it. This is themselves. It's who they are. The author says, if you got in touch with this just intellectually, it's genuine. It's exactly who you are. And the Torah and the mitzvahs that you're going to do because of it are perfect service. And this is what Alter says now. Then the Torah he studies, or the mitzvah he performs because of his submissions to the heavenly yoke, and because of the fear that he has drawn into his mind, are termed complete service. It's like perfect. Of the kind that can result only from a fear of God, as the Alter now goes on to say. Like all the service performed by a servant for his master or king, which is, of course, prompted by fear and awe. All this can be accomplished by arousing, even if only in his mind, at least a minimal level of fear and utilizing it in the study of Torah and the performance of the mitzvahs. So the fact that we were able to access it just intellectually, and from that space, we have this awareness, a conviction. I never want to rebel against Hashem. That's why I do the Torah. That's, that's why I study Torah. That's why I do a mitzvah. I'm walking into this because that's what Hashem said. It's not a feeling in my heart. It's a strong conviction in my mind. It's perfect. Why is it perfect? It sounds like it's flawed. Emotionally, you're not connected to that, or I shouldn't say you're not connected to that, but emotionally, you're not feeling it. If you're not feeling it emotionally, then your service is not perfect. No, that's not true. You know why? Because that's who you are anyway. If you were able to uncover it to some degree, then your service that's prompted by it is perfect. A lot of times we do things and we're like, oh, oh well, I was repressing a part of myself. So was that my true self? And this is a discussion we had last night at class. And it's like, let's say somebody's acting out. And there's two ways that you can handle this person. Either you can act graciously or you can respond in kind. So let's say you have chosen the highway to act graciously. Were you being true to yourself or were you being untrue to yourself? You had to repress yourself. You had to repress your natural emotions of anger, disappointment, impatience. Maybe you were being untrue to yourself. No, you were being true to yourself. Because if you ask yourself, how do you, how do you want to act in that kind of situation? If you kind of just take your feelings out of it, what kind of person do you want to be? And how do you want to act in that kind of situation? You want to act in the highway. You have some, some baggage to deal with. We have an animal soul that gets in the way. But when we control the animal soul and when we act the highway, we're being true to ourselves. Even though you can say, well, you're denying your feelings. You're repressing yourself. No, 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 no. <laughs> our essence is beyond that. And when we're true to our essence, we're true to ourself. So here, even if somebody's not able to uncover the fear of Hashem in his heart, but he does so in his mind, that's who you are anyway, and you've accessed it, and you've used that to power your Torah and mitzvahs. That is perfect service, like all service of a servant done for his master or king. And what is a servant's service? They don't do it because they want to. They do it because they have to. And it sounds crazy, like, what are you saying here? Yeah, that's the way we need to serve Hashem. We have to want to, and we have to have to. And that's, we're going to discuss that coming up. But there has to be two modes. Definitely, ha- there has to be that feeling of love. I don't want to do anything differently. I am in such love with Hashem. I want to connect with Him. Torah and Mitzvahs is this opportunity to literally run into His arms. That's not enough. There has to be, you know what, it's not about me. It's about Hashem. I'm doing this just because 
I, he said, I have to, and that's why I'm doing it. Because if it's only out of love, then it's about ourself. Love is an outgrowth of self. If it's, you know what, this is what Hashem wants, that's why I'm doing it, then we have taken our ego out of the way, we have surrendered to Hashem, and we have connected with the infinite. Because the divide between Hashem, who is infinite, and us finite, limited, created beings is infinite. We cannot do anything to bridge that gap. There's nothing we can do to reach that far. A finite being cannot reach into the infinite. And if it's just about our love, then it's an outgrowth of self, which is finite and cannot reach the infinite. The second, there's fear involved. The second, it's about submission to Hashem. I'm doing this just because he said, then it's about Hashem and Hashem is infinite. And that's how we can channel him into this world. Masha Enkain, imlaimate umakayim ha mitzvah be'ahava. On the other hand, if one studies Torah and performs a mitzvah with love alone in order to cleave to him through the study of his Torah and the performance of his commandments, then this is not termed the service of a servant. It has to be the service of a servant. There's a story, I, I couldn't find the source, but I heard this years ago. There were Hasidim who came out of Russia. They lived under the most dire circumstances. They were in labor camps. The suffering that these people went through was unspeakable. And they managed to keep Torah mitzvahs in Russia. And thank God they came to the United States. And they went to visit the Rebbe. And the Rebbe wanted them to meet with the great Torah scholar and halachic codifier, the great Paisik, Rev Moshe Feinstein. And he met with them. And he was so... He was so touched by them. And he said, how did you manage to keep Torah and mitzvahs under such terrible circumstances? And they said, we had no choice. That's what we had to do. Simple as that. Hashem said, and so we do. If somebody serves only out of love, and love is so important. Up until now, we were talking only about love. But now we're looking at fear. If it's only about love, then it's not the service of a servant. And what's wrong if it's not the service of a servant? So the Altar says, Whereas the Torah has declared, you shall serve the Lord your God. This verb is cognate with the noun evet, servant, and thus signifies service <coughs> motivated by the fear and awe of Hashem. And it is likewise written, him you shall serve. The Torah says you have to serve Hashem. And if we're not serving out of awe, if we're serving only out of love, it's not called serve. Serve is out of awe. Both or just out of awe? Serve is out of awe. And Kabbalah is all. We need both. The, the altar was going to say coming up in the chapter, and also fear, fear is not enough. <laughs> He's both. You need love and you need fear. Right now we're focusing on why we need fear. Service is awe. Now normally, the, this is counted actually as positive mitzvah number five. Normally... The Rambam doesn't count a mitzvah like this because it's one of the tzivuyim kailalim, general mitzvahs. This is like a mitzvah that tells you or commands you to do all the mitzvahs. Serve him. It's a general commandment for all the mitzvahs. But because it's actually connected specifically to prayer, the Rambam does count this mitzvah as mitzvah number five. But this is a general commandment. You're supposed to serve Hashem. If the only reason why you're doing things for Hashem is because you love him, that's not called service. An Eved is somebody who serves because he has to. I don't have a say. 
I have a master and I got to do what I got to do. He says, this is what I need to do. That's the only thing that exists in my world. The wish of my master. That's all that exists in my world. Altarab is now going to bring words from the Zohar that express this idea. <coughs> how important it is for us to have awe and what is accomplished by having awe. <laughs> As explained in the Zohar, Parshas Bahar. Kehai Taira, the Yahavan Ale Obak Bikad Mesa, begin the Apakimine Tavla Omahule. Just like, just like the ox on which one places a yoke in order to make it useful to the world, Hachay Nami, it's Trich Lavar Nash, the Kabbalah Ale, O Machel Shemayim Bikad Mesa Hule. So too must a human being, first of all, submit to the yoke of the kingdom of heaven and only then engage in divine service. And if this submission is not found in him, holiness cannot rest within him. Whoa. Okay. So listen to this one second, because we have going to have some questions on it. I'm going to address, I think, what we're going to have. And then uh, if we didn't address them all, then, then let me know. The, the Zohar says like this. Just like an ox, in order to make it useful to the world, you have to put a yoke on it. Now, the reason why we put a yoke on it is not just, is not so that the ox can't do damage. You know, like a muzzle. You put a muzzle on an animal so it doesn't go graze in other people's fields. No, it's actually for a positive goal. We're putting the yoke on the ox so that it can plow. Something positive has to come out from it. So we're putting a yoke on it, and that's how goodness comes to the world. So too, the human being, in order for goodness to come through the human being, he has to accept the heavenly yoke. And if not, holiness cannot rest within him. So what is this idea of if there's no yoke of heaven, then there's no holiness? Because if someone doesn't submit to Hashem, they cannot be a channel through which the divine is expressed. Submitting to Hashem means it's not about me, it's about Hashem, and then Hashem can shine through me. If it's just about love, then it's just about me. And how can I be a channel for something so beyond me? The second I take my ego out of the way and I say, I'm doing this as a servant, I'm your servant, Hashem, then holiness can come through me. Now, the idea here is not that somebody who doesn't, so let's say, let's say there's somebody who serves Hashem only out of love. And his only fault is that he doesn't have fear. Or somebody who serves Hashem, who studies Torah and does mitzvahs for a self-serving purpose. Or even someone who studies Torah on the condition that he's not going to keep the Torah. So these are very serious conditions. Even someone like that draws holiness down. The question is, is the holiness manifested and are they relating to what's coming through them? In a discourse of the Alter Rebbe, he says that even a wicked person draws godliness down upon his soul and upon objects of this world when he does studies Torah and does a mitzvah. The Alter Rebbe says, and this is in Torah Or, even a completely wicked person draws down godliness upon his divine soul when he engages in Torah study. 
When we study Torah, when we're doing a mitzvah with the things of this world, we're drawing down the infinite within the things of this world. The chairs that we're sitting on now, in order to study Torah, are being transformed. We're drawing godly energy into them. The sound waves on this room are being transformed. Everything is being transformed. We're literally pulling down the divine. And this is true even if someone who has negative intentions. What's the difference? The Altar says over there in that Hasidic discourse, La yucha lahamshech v'sayich pnimios. He is unable to draw it down within his inner self. So he's pulling it down over his soul, but it's not something that he relates to. It's there, but it's not something that he is manifesting and it's not something that he relates to. You know, there can be someone, it's like, and this is not exactly the expression, but the Ramban, talk, the Ramban Nachmanides talks about a manival bershos hatera, a disgusting person with the permission of the Torah. That means like, theoretically speaking, he never does any avera. But he, he, he's unrefined. He's despicable. There's something gross about him. What is it? Okay, this is now not the line of thought, but it's the same idea, is that if he is not accepting of the heavenly yoke and he has not gotten his ego out of the way and he's just a pleasure seeker, then he is not a channel of the Torah. Even though he's studying Torah and even though he's doing mitzvahs and he's drawing down the, he's drawing down godliness upon his soul, but he's not showing that. You don't look at him and say, wow, what a great person. And he's not even relating to the experience that he's having. He's having an experience, but it's something removed from him. It's aloof from him. It's a part. It's not something that he identifies with. For us to identify with holiness, we have to submit to the heavenly yoke. Good things come through people who serve Hashem. The Torah says, serve Hashem, and that's true of every mitzvah. Every mitzvah has to be approached from this place. I'm doing this because that's what Hashem said. Here we're talking about someone who's not doing anything wrong. He's, he's honest in his business. But he is somebody who doesn't, who doesn't do this out of submission to the heavenly yoke. The reason why he's doing it is not because that's what Hashem said. He's doing it because he can even be doing it only because I love him. I'm doing it just because I love Hashem. That's not enough. Because in order for holiness to come down through us, for us to relate to the experience that we're having, and for us to channel that experience so that we emanate it, literally it like exudes from our being, it's for us to submit to the heavenly yoke. I'm doing this just because Hashem said so. So I'm going to summarize what we said until now. And I'm going to tell you that coming up, the altar was going to quote from the Zaihar that, again, fear enough is not, fear alone too is not enough. We need to be both. We need to be a son and we need to be a servant. A son is characterized by love and a servant is characterized by service. So we need both modes. We've been focusing on fear that we can forget that love is important. Love is so important and we're going to talk about that too. But right now we've been talking about fear. It is literally the beginning of service Hashem, of Hashem. It's the core and it's the root. And what we said today was we started to talk about the mitzvah of tzitzis. The mitzvah of tzitzis is the idea of appoint for yourself a king. That somebody, even if they don't feel fear of Hashem in their heart, but they nevertheless accept upon themselves that they're going to do as the king bids. That was closing the parentheses on the mitzvah discussion. We talked about tefillin last class. This class we talked about tzitzis. And then we talked about, we returned to our topic, that a person just has to have a minimal amount of fear that they don't want to rebel against the king of kings. Ideally, it should be felt in their heart. 
But if it's felt only in their mind, the altar of came back to this discussion and said, if you feel it just in your mind, that is enough. Your service is perfect. Why is it perfect? It should be flawed. You're, you're not feeling it in your heart. You know why? Because that's actually who you are. It's literally part of the Jewish makeup that you don't want to rebel against Hashem. You're somebody who naturally fears Hashem. So if you've accessed it to some degree, and that's what prompts your Torah and your mitzvahs, this is considered service. And actually, Rabbi Steinsaltz gives an incredible analogy for this of the human ability to speak. Human beings, it's part of the human structure to speak. Some people speak easily and naturally as little children. Other children need a lot of help, a lot of uh, goading and prompting and training. So difficult till they're able to speak. When they do speak, their speech is real. It doesn't matter what it took them to get them to say those words. The words that they say are real. It's true speech because it's part of the essence of the human soul to speak. This is not the same as training an animal to speak. If an animal speaks, it's not really speaking. It's only imitating speech. So here too, if we are able to access it with difficulty, great difficulty, and just in our mind, but it's real. Why is it real? Because it's part of the structure of our soul. It is who we are. And if that's what prompts us to study Torah and to do a mitzvah, this is perfect service, like the service of any servant to his master and king. But if a person serves just out of love, then it's not service. And the Torah said, you should serve him. It's one of the mitzvahs you need to serve Hashem. And then the Alter Rebbe brought words from the Zohar that expressed this idea that just like an ox, in order to give benefit to this world, the ox needs to have a yoke placed on it from youth, so too a human being has to have the yoke of heaven placed on him at the beginning of service. And if not, then holiness cannot rest upon him. And I want to underscore and reiterate, of course, every time we study Torah, and of course, every time we do a mitzvah, we're drawing holiness down upon ourselves, whether or not we have good intentions, whether or not we have fear. The question is, are we manifesting it? Are we internalizing it? Is this something that we relate to? Next class, Hashem, we're going to explore love and why we need both love and fear. And thank you everyone for coming in person and on Zoom. And I'll see you next week, Bezrat Hashem. I'm opening up for questions and discussion and I 